Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Anita. What? Um, we just had Widow Bingo. It was fun. That was amazing. Thank you to everybody that showed up. We're a disaster, too. Yeah, that's what makes it so fun, right? <laughs> so we're like thinking through things as we're going, and we're like, holy crap, we're going to have to ship things to Australia. It's going to cost like a million dollars. Oh, sorry. One million dollars. One million dollars. So speaking of our Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to need some more patrons to ship all of our prizes. And if you missed out on Widow Bingo, sucks to be you. It was really fun. At least we think so. Maybe not. I don't know. I think I need to turn this because I want to look at you while I talk to you. Then do it. I want to gaze into your eyes. Oh, I'm so beautiful. Oh, I know. You're so gorgeous. You should be dating again. That was one of our things in Widow Bingo. I hope that you can find somebody that will deal with your kids. We'll take on your kids. We'll take on your kids. That's yes. It. Our Widow We Do Now Bingo was about phrases that are what not to say or, or like terrible phrases. The worst things people have said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in Widow Bingo, we also unveiled some shirts that we had made. They're amazing. And um, if you guys were going to do a pre-order for shirts and get them made, if you want to get a shirt, we'll post a picture on Instagram and Facebook so you can see what they look like. And then we'll also post the link. It's going to actually be 
for now until we figure stuff out. It's going to be the link for um, where people were able to buy the book that I got made for Jason. my husband. Yeah, the kid's book that he wrote before he died and I found and made into a book. Right now we have two selections. Speaking of Jason, didn't you have an anniversary? Yes. Thursday was my 21st anniversary and it was hard. I don't know if it was harder than last year or not. You were feeling funny the day before. I was feeling super just blah. And it's so funny because I wasn't even thinking about that day. So it's weird how it's like in the back of your mind. Even if you're really busy and going through your day and you're feeling it and you're not having any quiet time, I still felt that weird like sense of dread. Impending doom. Yeah. Almost. It's in your cells. Memory is stored in your cells. That's what I think. And I'm full of cells. Yep. So many. Like a billion cells. Mm -hmm. So I decided that since my life is chaos and I can't even do the bare minimum of things that I would tear my house apart and paint. And that's what I've been doing for the last three days. But my friends helped me, thank goodness, because otherwise it would have been bad. Did you like the color that you picked? I do. What color? No, and I can't remember. Something something gray? Mm-hmm. Ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But Sherwin-Williams, something gray. Nice. It's a delightful color. Fun. So I'm happy about that. And I'm going to paint my bedroom, too. What color? I don't know. Neon pink? No. Pepto-Bismol pink. Ooh. My grandma had that color in her hall. It was Ooh. stunning. What color was the carpet? Also Pepto-Bismol pink? I think it was green. Like forest green. Do you think that in her mind she was thinking, the walls are like the petals of a flower. And uh, the, f- the floor, the carpet is the stem. Um, I don't know. But she really did love that paint. She was very proud of it. Mm-hmm. And all of us went in and went, oh, special. That's nice. Um, made it through the day, though. And it's done. And it's okay. You survived. Yeah. You even texted me back. I know. On that day. I, I couldn't know. believe it. I know. And my friends came over and we had cake and things like that. But I did feel... I I don't know if this happens to you, Mel. Like, you don't have kids, but you have dogs. But (laughs) when you're having a bad grief day, like, noise and chaos is harder to deal with. And touching. Like, your brain is kind of, like, on overload. Like, everybody was like, let's listen to music. And I was like, turn the music off. Like, I can't deal with everybody talking to each other and the music and my kids running around and everything everywhere because all the furniture is moved for the paint, you know, and stuff like that. So... I feel like that a lot. It's actually a way that I can tell if I'm going into a little grief spell. Is because you feel like overwhelmed easily yeah. and like overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I am prone to feel like that anyway because of being in like the musician realm. Yeah. Because we're all a little kind of cuckoo, right? Our brains are just kind of yeah different. But definitely have noticed a huge difference since Scott's death and trauma to the brain and everything. Yeah. It's like... Even with the dogs. Like, you know, yeah. I love the dogs yeah. at all times. But you're like, get away from me sometimes? Sometimes it makes me think of how you are when you're like, sometimes I just don't want anybody to touch me. Like, yeah. Or to come sit by me. Yes. And, and I'm like that too. I'm like, get your nose away from yes. me. And then I feel like a terrible person. Yes. 
because it's just a dog. Yes. But yeah, and yeah. loud sounds are really hard. Yeah, and like chaos, mm-hmm. and and nighttime is when I want to be alone and want everything to be quiet. So my kids are always like, "Can I snuggle with you?" And I'm like, "Go away!" <laughs> and they're like, "But we love you, mom." And okay, I'm but like, one of your kids you. made like a super nice little card for you I after saw. he was the devil oh he was the devil i didn't see that part he stayed up super late and that's always bad but i couldn't deal with them and so i just locked myself in my bedroom on my anniversary so he didn't go to bed until like midnight and then the next day he wakes up and he it's kind of funny if you have kids and they've like gone off the rails it's kind of comical because they're just making no sense like they're crying about things that normally they would not cry about you know and you just kind of want to laugh at them because they just are crazy pants. And so he was kind of in that mode. He got, he brushed his teeth and his toothbrush had fish food on it. And so he's like oh. crying about fish food on his toothbrush. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to respond to this situation. Rinse your mouth out, you know? But he was like crying and like throwing himself on the floor. And then he made a mess out of the paint that I was sampling in my bedroom. And so I like screamed at him. Oh, my God. And that's why he sent me. It was a really cute note. And it was like, we're going to get through this together. And then he drew a little mustache. I know. It's so hard because I'm like, I hate you right now. And thank you for this note because I needed it. It's hard to be Anita right now. It's hard. Yeah. Except for this cool shirt I have on that when I showed it to my father-in-law, he pulled a face. <laughs> also my dad. <laughs> not, that a, too. not a good face. Hey, my dad is like, now your father-in-law. Since we're widow wives. <laughs> and guess what? Just upstairs after widow bingo, he gave me a lesson on taxes. <laughs> and, and what you should do with dead people. Yeah. And you know what Mel did? She left me. Yep. So I got a lesson all by myself. And Mel was like, I'm out. I don't have to listen to my dad, but I am polite. And so I do have to listen to my father-in-law, my my father-in-law, the second. Well, I was with my dad all day. And so I had already had the discussion. <laughs> the tax lesson. And I think my bandwidth was over. Also, I had to feed the dogs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. poor Anita, two hours later. <laughs> it's okay. But now she knows everything about taxes. Uh, yeah. Or not. Or not. Because maybe I did or didn't understand a lot of it. I think that's a dog at the door. Oh, man. They found us. They found us. That's how I feel about my kids, too. Um, Your week. Anything happened this week for you? Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff... There is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But Then the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rockhouse Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. I have been working like mad at like, my wait, computer. Wait, wait, mad like... 
crazy person or like, yeah, all of the above. Okay. Yes. Lots of things are happening. Not that anybody in the widow group wants to learn piano, but I'm working on things that have to do with piano online. So speaking of piano, if you guys were at widow bingo, which only a few of you were, that's not true. We didn't. I mean, most we had of, like 40. No, we didn't. We had like 30. I don't know. But most of the people listening were not at Widow Bingo. True. So you missed out on me playing the clarinet. <laughs> it was something to behold. <laughs> and just honestly, you guys, I showed up. I have been practicing the clarinet this whole last week. And Mel's like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, you're supposed to play the national anthems after I get done playing my one line. And she just like pulls it up on her phone and plays it. No, no problemo. No worries. So she's a virtuoso. If this were treating a diabetic foot ulcer, though... I know. I'd have been all over it. I would have prepared for days and not gotten anywhere. And you would have just walked in and treated it. <laughs> yeah, which is like a super weird comparison. Yeah, I'm just trying I'm to not, make you feel better. I know. I'm not sure how you prepare to to do a diabetic foot ulcer. I'm sure there's a course on it on the internet. I'm sure there is, too. Um, Australia's national anthem is the hardest just because... It goes up into the upper register of the clarinet, which I just learned that that is a thing. And Canada's is long. I only played like one line, but it was the best. It was the best one of my performance, I would say. I thought you did pretty good on England's. Yeah, but Canada's was a little smoother. Mm. Australia's was a freaking disaster. Sorry, Liz and Aaron and Jennifer Steele. And anybody else in Australia. I did my best. Maybe we should post some videos you guys if you want to i recorded her playing it i have proof maybe we'll see we'll see what happens remember to check out patreon so we can send all our bingo prizes to australia england canada now we spent all our money on <laughs> and every shirts. single person won a prize <laughs> it was really funny we really don't think things through very well until it's happening but we, we just, have some cool prizes yeah we just wanted to have fun and hang out with our widow friends yeah and non-widow supporter friends and celebrate our one year podcast anniversary. happy podcast anniversary to you oh, Anita. dang it i forgot we were gonna do something during our zoom you guys sometimes i get on itunes and i look at the other widow podcasts and i compare our stats to theirs and that's how i found that amazing podcast that i listened to another episode it's crazy but we're not going to talk about it cuz that's weird anyway <laughs> i know that there are people listening to our podcast who have not written us a review so if you would like to give us a gift for our 1 year podcast anniversary go on to itunes and write us a review so that we pull up for people who are searching for widow-related or grief-related podcasts. Yes. If you think this podcast is helpful, write something, because then it helps people to see that and it gives it credibility. Yeah, they think maybe I would like to listen to that too. Yeah. So. And I also would like to say, I know how it is to listen to stuff and or see stuff on Facebook or Instagram or any whatever, and to not comment or hit like, because that's just how we are. And now as somebody that's doing a podcast or like creating content it's so funny like it, it's made me more 
interactive interactive because now i know what goes behind creating this stuff and and it's actually like the only way you're gonna know if people care about it and it's so hard because you put yourself out there and you're like i don't even know if people like us yeah i'm like that all the time mel's like shut up anita it's fine and i'm like i don't know if they like us i'm just used to this by being a musician for so long where nobody cares about what you do people always want you to play stuff for free and do these gigs for free Man. Not treat diabetic foot ulcers for Because that's what I was just going to say. Like, when I treat a diabetic foot ulcer, I want that ulcer to visually get smaller and smaller and smaller and then heal. So I, like, know I'm doing a good job. Yeah. There's no, like, ambiguity. And that's a really weird thing to say on a grief podcast. It's, yeah. Well, this is kind of on brand for us, right? <laughs> All over the place. All over the place. So we love it when you comment or when you interact in the group. And, of course, our Widow Wives Club is awesome about interacting because that's what it's for. But if you are not a widow and you're on a regular Facebook page, please comment and like and whatever else. Because then we know that you're there. Otherwise, we don't know if people care or if they're even listening or watching. Are you listening? Hello? 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 Is it me you're looking for? (laughs) Ooh, we've had a lot of cheese after that widow bingo. We had some delicious cheese. We had a cheddar that was delicious and a white Stilton with lemon in it that was also very good. Very delicious. Good job, Anita. Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club. Answer the questions. If you're inviting friends to the Widow Wives Club, it lets them get around the questions. So it's better if you just copy and paste the page for them so that they can submit their own request and join our patreon you can be our friend for five dollars and help us pay to send some stuff to australia and check out the information and the links to pre-order an amazing t-shirt or two designed by anita i'm so proud of myself i love this shirt so much can we talk about this being a step towards more awesomeness from your widow situation because remember when you're like i just want to have t-shirts and i'm like did you know you can design them here's this thing you said i don't think i can and then you made this amazing t-shirt i love it and then i just was like i want to design t-shirts i've made like six of them but they're too expensive to actually make unless you like buy a lot of them yeah problem so so maybe we'll put them on there maybe you guys will like them maybe we'll have enough to order them maybe we won't we'll see yeah Patreon.com slash WWDN if you would like to support us and help us keep the podcast going and send things to Australia and give Anita a pat on the back. Right. Righto. That was not me trying to have an Australian accent, by the way. Because what was that? I don't know, but it was not related. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, stay tuned because coming up is a super cool widow that we just interviewed and you're going to love her story and hate it at the same time. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And we're just two young widows who don't think things through very well. And we're trying to figure out widow Widow, we do now. It's time to shout out to our widow bestie and widow wife supporters. We have Sylvia Louise. The Winehouse, a.k.a. Karen Cornejo, Rachel Barbosa, Ileana Bell, Gabe Lozano, Aaron Posick, Sylvia Shore, Jenny Barrow, Christine Anderson, Diana Becker, Sarah Morris, and David Kelly. Thank you, guys. Anita, you get to introduce our esteemed guest today. 
I am so excited to do that. So when uh, we first started our podcast and we were kind of trying to figure out what we were doing, we tried to think of people who might be guests and we actually knew about Jenny um, and she just kind of went on a list in the back of our heads. And then last week we told you that we were coming up on our 100th member of the Widow Wives Club. Do you remember? And so we went to look at, we passed that number and we went back to look and see who the 100th person was. And guess who it was? Jenny Taylor. Yes. And so then the universe even spoke more because she sent us a little message and I was like, ah, this is amazing. So we um, talked to Jenny and asked her if she would be a guest on our podcast as our 100th widow wife club member official winner. <laughs> That's your new title, Jenny. Congratulations. Like can, you put it, can you put it like in a name tag on my door? We'll yes. make you or a, a sash. A sash? Oh, a sash with a mm-hmm. crown? Would you like a, yes, would you like a scepter? No, that will turn into a weapon at my okay. house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, same here. Same here, Jenny. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to us, where you're coming from, things like yeah. that? Yeah. So my name's Jenny Taylor, and I am a widow. That's why we're all here. And it's funny because I knew about you and your podcast quite a while ago when you interviewed a friend of mine, because when you're a widow, then everyone introduces you to every other widow, because it's just what they do. And so when you interviewed um, Mindy Holmgren, she's the one that introduced me to your podcast. I'm like, this is so awesome. And it's funny because I didn't catch that you were looking for the 100th Widow Wife member. I was just at a PTA meeting looking at my phone and I was like, oh yeah, those girls, I got to contact them. And then I found you on Facebook and added, and then I found out about your Patreon and I was like, yes, we got to make this continue. So that's when I joined and then we got to this conversation, but I live in Northern Utah. I've got seven kids and we are almost exactly to the two year mark of the day my husband died. Um, we met, yeah, Anita. Seven kids? Like the sound of music. Seven. Seven, like it takes two hands to say seven. Yes, because yesterday I met a lady at my sister's office and she has eight kids. And I found my own eyes bugging out of my head as I asked her eight, like eight, like you gave birth to all eight of those kids. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what people say to me all the time. And this is me saying it to her because eight is more than seven. So yes, my husband and I had seven children together on purpose, all naturally birthed and they're all here. They're ages two to 15 and it's crazy. It is as crazy as it sounds. So anything you're imagining about how crazy my house is, you're right. It just is. So, and that was true before I was a widow, like, let's be honest. So we just maybe complicated a bit by taking dad out of the home, but it's not like we were just peace and quiet and obedience before he died. So That makes me feel a little better that it wasn't just peace and (laughs) quiet and obedience. I can't imagine having three more humans to take care of and to try and keep in line. My sister has eight kids, and anytime we go to her house, I have to hide under the table because it's just so (laughs) much crazy. It's like, ah! Anyway... Well, oh. my sister, my sister has five kids and I have seven kids and she's actually renting a rental house that's right next door to my house right now temporarily while she remodels a home she and her husband bought. So that's a dozen cousins who pretty much think they're siblings and it is 
even too much for me sometimes. Like, oh my gosh, this is insanity. We lost control a long time ago. (laughs) But the kids have a good time. They do. Great memories growing up here. So The prisoners are running the prison. That's what I always say. Mutiny. So anyway, my, yeah, so my husband and I, we have these seven kids. We always wanted a big family. Uh, We met on a blind date, all the, you know, funny story things. He was a soldier in the Utah National Guard. And also he was involved in politics. He served as the mayor in North Ogden, Utah, where we live. I have been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years, you know, active in PTA and church things and running kids around pretty much as a chauffeur all the time. And like I said, my husband died almost two years ago. He was killed in action in Afghanistan on his fourth deployment. So like if your husband's a soldier and he's deployed four times, probably you should maybe talk about what if or be ready for the what if. But I will tell you, it came as the biggest shock of my whole life. Like, I don't know why we didn't contemplate that more. I'm glad we didn't. Like, I'm glad we didn't spend all of our marriage worried about it and every second of his deployment worried about it. But early on in our marriage, before our first baby was born, we had a really like heartfelt talk before that first deployment about, Hey, are we really willing to do this? You know, you might die and we have dreams together, but we love our country. And so that was way back in 2004. We were married in 2003. He went to boot camp right after we were married. Then he went to his advanced training right after that. And when he got back from that and we're kind of settling into life, cause guardsmen, like he had a regular job and he was home most of the time guardsmen, you know, once a month go do guard things. And But before that first deployment, we really did kind of have that heavy what if discussion. And then after that, we just didn't because like my husband's not going to die. That's somebody else's husband, right? Like not me. Um, Is four deployments normal for somebody who's in the National Guard? It kind of it kind of depends on who who and what their job is. So I thought four was pretty much like 100 deployments because that's what it felt like to me until after my husband died and we've been involved with military memorials and connected to other families like ours who've lost a service member. And some of them serve seven, eight, 12, 13 overseas deployments. So I think kind of the difference is obviously a lot of those are active duty and they're active duty army rangers and the rangers, they're constantly getting ready to deploy. They deploy They come back and train, they get ready to deploy. They deploy, they come back and train. So it's kind of like a cycle, more like a rotating assignment versus a National Guardsman. Again, you're here once a month on the weekend and then maybe a couple weeks of the year you go to Japan or Germany and occasionally you might get called up to go overseas for a longer period without your family. So I think four is a lot for a Guardsman. Um, I will say all four of those deployments my husband volunteered for and was eager to serve. So it wasn't like arm twisting. This wasn't, oh my gosh, how do I get out of this? And that's hard for a lot of people to understand. But anybody who's listening, if you're married to a service member or a cop or a firefighter who just can't wait to be the first one to answer that call to serve, like you get it. And that was, I knew that about my husband. He wasn't in the army when we were dating. Um, it's kind of mostly what we talked about the whole time we were dating. We were set up on a blind date by someone who knew we would be compatible because of how much we love this country. Like it's totally nerdy, but it's true. I was a teaching major. 
He was a political science major. We both love history, America, the Constitution, all of the things. And while we were dating, that's when he decided to join the military. I was with him the day he enlisted. I was with him when he graduated from boot camp. I was with him every step of the way. And I always viewed it as our service. I never felt like I needed to serve. I, and, and not that I didn't want to or would refuse to. It wasn't my, that wasn't me. For me, my job that I chose to be my job and what I felt was my role was to support him in his service to our country. And I know he couldn't have done it without me. And I imagine you ladies feel the same way with what your husbands did. And that's kind of the goal of marriage, right? To help each other be awesome at whatever you're trying to be awesome at. So he loved being a soldier and as hard as this might sound to understand, he loved being deployed. He loved feeling like he was helping defend the American way of life. He loved feeling like he was contributing to the 250 years almost of this country's history and freedom and, and, and humanity and liberty and justice for all, all of those, you know, cliche things. He loved it. And because he loved it so much, I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about it. You know, again, it wasn't this doom and gloom, oh, don't go or, or anything. And we were naive enough. It's not going to happen to us, right? Like husbands die in the movies and maybe somebody down the street and then you take them a casserole because we've all done that. I've taken a lot of casseroles. I am good. I'm not even a good cook. I might buy you a casserole. Can I get you takeout? I'm kind of better at takeout. But you know what I mean? Like, so we had a will because the army says get a will, but password? No, no idea what his password is to anything. No idea what he would have wanted me to do when he died. No idea where he wanted to be buried or what song to sing at the funeral. All of that fell on me very suddenly, fell on his mother suddenly on all of us who love him. Like, whoa, where did that come from? So how long was the deployment supposed to last? So his deployments were typically a year. This one was scheduled and it's give or take the way the army words the paper is no longer than 400 days so you figure a calendar year is 365 days they usually have some built-up leave that they've accrued because they earn so many hours or days per pay period however that works and so typically he'd be gone from my house about a year he would first go to a stateside base for either a couple of weeks or a couple of months depending on the deployment after he left my house before he got to the Middle East. And then usually on the flip side of the deployment, he'd have a couple of weeks of paid time to kind of like regroup, recover before he had to go back to work What his civilian job. So this one was supposed to be January of 2019, or sorry, 2018 to January of 2019. And he left, first went stateside for a couple of weeks. And I think he got into the Middle East mid to end of February. So. so when did he actually die? How far into the deployment? So he was killed on Saturday, November 3rd, 2018. So it's at 10 months. You know, you're fine. The funny thing is <laughs> funny, huh? Like all widows say it's funny, but you know what I mean? Um, the Sunday before I had gone to church with my kids, I'm sure I looked exhausted and ragged and overrun and underpaid because all of the above are true. And someone asked me, oh, how's Brent doing? And I said, oh my gosh, I, we're almost there. I can feel it. Like we're on the home front because by the time you're into October, 
that whole holiday period goes really fast, November, December, right? So the clock just flies by and then he's going to be home after Christmas in January. So literally the Sunday before he was killed, I was at church almost breathing a sigh of relief, like, oh, we've made it. We're almost done. Pack your bags and come home. You know, famous last words, but yeah. So it'd been, it'd been the bulk of that deployment. We were expecting him home in January. And it might have been February. There's no release date until it's closer. That seems really rude. Yeah. They're like, he might come home sometime between December and March. It's like when you book travel yeah. on the airline. It's like, is your travel, do you need it to be scheduled or are you open-ended? It's like, no, my dates are not flexible. I promise you, if you're in the military or married to the military, your dates have to be open-ended. The first time my husband deployed and came home, I got a call that morning that he would be getting it to the airport that night. I knew it was coming-ish, and I literally was at the park with my two little babies in a stroller and got the call that he was American-bound. So we're like, hurry home, let's go. So we call it hurry up and wait. It's the Army. It's the same thing when they leave. We think you're going to leave this date, but it might be that date. And sometimes they get postponed. And honestly, you know, people who know us closely might have been shocked, not just by Brent's death, but shocked by this deployment because we didn't make it public until right before he left because of that same thing. Dates change, plans change. We've had deployments we thought he was going on that never even happened. And so for one, we've got seven kids and big families on both sides that that's a lot of people to say, I'm leaving. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. But also, he was serving as an elected mayor in a town of 19,000 who he would have to announce, I'm leaving, but I'm not sure when, and maybe, or wait, it's off, it's on. So we didn't want to get into kind of the yo-yo of that with the public who doesn't understand that that is just what it is in the military. So if anyone is listening and knows us or knows the story and feels like we kind of sat on that deployment announcement for a while, we did. We did. And I had just, I had just given birth for the seventh time again, back to seven. And, um, so she was exactly, this baby of ours was exactly two months old the day Brent got on an airplane and left. And so, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a lot to have the public try to handle. It's a lot for our families to handle, to say nothing of our little kids, but even telling my parents, my husband's parents, his staff his constituents so we do we we did kind of sit on that information until it felt more solid and coming home again might have been january might have been february but ended up being november in a very different way than we expected so were you given the details of what happened or is that like because in the movies you know sometimes it's like super secret or or i don't even know yeah it's totally like the movies it's 100 like the movies so what happened um, with, with a military, and I imagine it's similar with law enforcement, uh, other public service officer deaths. I don't know that it's so much that they're keeping secrets as sometimes they don't know. And then everything has to go through protocol. So my husband was killed on a Saturday morning in Afghanistan on a hike in the military. They call it a ruck march, but it's basically a hike with your heavy army backpack to, you know, exercise and, and train. And we were given that information. We were told he was shot and killed. We were told he was shot in the head and killed. We were told that the killer who killed him was then immediately killed by the others on the hike with him. 
And so we were given quite a bit of information. You know, I think of other military or officers, families who, what if it's a roadside bomb? What if it's a random attack and you just happen to be driving at the wrong place in the wrong time? Or what if you happen to be in the cafeteria when the building got bombed and you might not know who did it or why they did it or how they did it? So we actually, I feel pretty fortunate that we were given as much information as we were. So that's what we were told kind of up front. After that, some of the service members who served with my husband, you know, contacted me. We either saw him at the funeral or maybe through social media, the world can connect. And some of them would share maybe their experience or their memory of what happened. But officially, the military does an investigation. And this happens with every soldier who dies, even if they think they know everything, even if they know nothing. They do an investigation. And that took almost a year. So my husband died at the beginning of November, and it was last October, really like a year ago right now, that my husband's siblings and parents and I were called in to be briefed by the general of the Utah National Guard to tell us anything they could find out. So obviously, we already knew how he died. We knew who killed him. We knew the weapon. It wasn't like a murder mystery. You know, I listened a couple episodes ago to the woman whose husband and mother-in-law and the, the motorcycle shop employees, and it was over a decade. I thought, I can't imagine. I thought a year was a really long time to wait to have answers. So I will not complain at all. So it, I don't think it's so much like a mystery, like we're hiding things from you, as it is they want to make sure information they give you is accurate. You and I both know that most information by word of mouth is not accurate. One person tells you what they think they saw they heard happened. That's not very reliable, but the military did release to us um, a verbal report where we spoke about it, and then they gave us written findings. They had interviewed pretty much everyone who was there that day, everyone who might have seen or known what happened, almost like you do if there's a car accident on the street, and you give your, your testimony. So we, I feel like we know quite a bit compared to how it could have been. And I'm very grateful for that. Like I know who killed him and I know he's dead. So that right there, that's not true for a lot of people in situations like this. I know how he died. Um, I even know the motive because the, it was an Afghan who killed him and he made a, like a terrorist video kind of thing on his cell phone talking about how he planned to kill major Taylor on November 3rd. So that's super awful. But at the same time, like, Oh, I guess there's no wondering why um, it wasn't random. It was very targeted, which in a way, as awful as that is, I'll admit, I've, I feel grateful to have been able to find a little bit of peace of mind in that because as I thought about it, you know, this, this Afghan killed my husband because he thought he was basically doing his job too well. He was making a difference. He was building relationships with the Afghans. He was trying to bring not the American way of life to Afghanistan because they don't want our way of life, but he was trying to bring freedom and justice and those things we believe in for humanity, not just citizenship. And because he was so wholeheartedly dedicated to doing that, this Afghan thought he needed to be killed. And so where I find peace of mind in that is in knowing the only way for my husband to still be alive would be if he weren't who he was. You know, it's not like, man, if he had been to the left or the right or not driven over that pothole or not fallen off that ledge or that helicopter hadn't crashed, a lot of those horrible, awful happenstances, like my husband is dead because someone thought he was too good at his job and his job wasn't to make money or be famous. His job was to try to help his fellow man. I hate that my husband's dead, 
but I can find I can find some peace and some pride in knowing he died defending freedom and liberty and justice for all. He gave his life for me. He gave his life for for all of us who enjoy freedoms, and that does give me some measure of a way to process it. You know, it's a coping mechanism, if nothing else. I think that's really interesting because, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at other people's situations and wondering if it would be, you know, quote unquote, better or worse. And I kind of think it's interesting um, because in Mel and my husband's deaths, there was nobody who actually, you know, killed them. So there wasn't anybody to blame. So I think it's interesting that you have found kind of a degree of solace in that when from the outside, I'm like, Ooh, that would make, that would put so much anger into my heart. Whereas, you know, in my husband's death, it just happened. So I can't really be angry at anybody, you know, or anything. So, um, it's just interesting how things that you think you would think in somebody else's shoes or maybe not what they think. Well, that was a confusing sentence, but you (laughs) get what I mean. And I, I, I will say I am 100% honest in saying I am not angry at the person who killed him, which to me is like a God gift of all the emotions. And, you know, all of us listening know you feel every emotion 100 times a day. Sometimes I'm angry he's gone. I'm angry I have to be here without him. I'm angry I've got 50 more years on this planet that I've got to try to figure things out. And he went out on a blaze of glory. <laughs> but... I am grateful that I can say I'm not angry at the man who shot him. In fact, I feel really bad for him that he would think that not just my husband, but American servicemen and women have died for 243 years all around the world trying to protect humanity and freedom and choice. And and this man thought my husband was trying to ruin his life rather than offer him some better way of life. That makes me sad. And I'm grateful for that because trust me, I'm a plenty vindictive person. Don't think I'm a saint. <laughs> I get angry all the time. I'm mad at my kids most of the time, mad at myself all the time. But I am grateful in the whole spectrum of emotions I've felt for two years now. I do not feel angry at that man. And I'm not angry at the Afghan people. I, and that to me is, like I said, just a gift from God. I'll let somebody else be angry. I, I don't have room for anger. I'm too tired to be angry. It takes too much. So that's that's kind of our story. You know, he died that Saturday morning on a hike. Tell us how you were told about his death. I mean, again, is it like in the movies or? Like the movies. Oh it's my just, gosh. In fact, in listening, to, in listening to that interview a couple episodes ago about when her husband was killed at the motorcycle shop and she sees the police officer come or then the coroner's officer comes and they sit you down and they didn't just call to say, hey, something happened. So in my situation, it was a Saturday morning and it was right after my birthday. So my birthday's on Halloween and I've got seven kids. At the time, my husband's been deployed almost 10 months. <clears throat> I've got a new little baby all the way up to my first teenager And that deployment was hard on me the whole year. Like that's a conversation for another day. We had a bathroom flood upstairs that ended up gutting like the whole house. We're living in a rental. All of the kids are distraught because dad's like the one rock in the world. I'm a total basket case. So the kids are a basket case when mom's a basket case. So we were bad. And around my birthday, my mom and my mother-in-law convinced me to go away Friday night to Saturday with my girlfriends from college. So we were freshman roommates together a billion years ago. It was the 20th reunion from our freshman year, and we're going to go back to Brigham Young University area and eat ice cream because that's what you do at BYU, but whatever. So I, Friday night, went down there. Saturday morning, woke up early 
And if you've ever been a mom away from your kids and you wake up early, like that will make you angry. Let's talk about anger. And I was like, oh, I totally could have slept in. I'm so tired. And I, I remember a very conscious moment thinking, okay, I can roll over and go back to sleep or I can just use some time to kind of like think and meditate and grab my journal and try to make sense of this crazy year. Because again, my husband's coming home soon and I'm trying to not be a total basket case for this last couple of months. So I got out of bed, had a couple really awesome hours of like, whoa, mom doesn't get quiet time. So I'm thinking this day is good. Okay, I can make it through November and December. Brent will be home in January. The holidays will be filled with busy and beautiful and fun for kids. We can do this. I've written some goals in my notebook, cleared out my head a little. And then my mom called. And then keep in mind, this is my mom that was like, whoa, Jenny, you need a break. Don't worry about the kids. We got this. And so I'm thinking like, oh, who burned the house down? Who broke their arm? What are the kids? Because it's like not even nine in the morning on a Saturday. She, I'm sure, was hoping I was asleep. So I knew she didn't just call to say hi. But I didn't think anything, you know, I didn't think about Brent for sure. Anyway, what my mom said on the phone was that there were two army officers in full dress uniform knocking on my door and they need to talk to me. So this is where it gets to be just like the movies. Army protocol, military protocol, I imagine law enforcement protocol is similar. They can only talk to the primary next of kin first. They can't tell the news his name first, they can't even tell his mom first, they can't tell my neighbor first, and they certainly can't tell my mom. But they also can't tell me over the phone. So officer so-and-so says, well, ma'am, we have some information for you, but protocol needs us to be in person. I said, okay, I'm an hour and a half away from my home and you're there with my seven little children and my mother who's probably having a panic attack because she's there. And I didn't even have a car with me because I had taken public transportation to meet up with my friends. Because I'm like, I don't want to drive. I want to just try to clear my head again. Cause I was literally kind of going crazy in October of 2018. If you know any of my family or friends, they would tell you that. Like I was one step away from super losing my sanity. So I hung up the phone, found one of my roommates and I just said, Brent might be dead. I need a ride. Like super tactical. Oh. <laughs> and so he oh looks at me. <laughs> but it's like, hey, I hope I didn't scar her for the rest of my life. Sorry, Desi, I totally owe you. So we, what the officers and I agreed was that we'd drive and try to meet in the middle. I don't want them to wait at my house with my kids for an hour and a half, but I don't want to wait an hour and a half for them to drive down to me. And then I'm an hour and a half from my kids. They would have scarred the police officer, not the police officers, the military officers to be with your seven kids for an hour and a half. Quite true. I know we yeah. should have just done that, huh? Yeah. So they drove South. I drove North. We met at the headquarters building. If anybody's local, that's in Draper right off I-15, big flag and everything out front. And I walked into this building. I got there first because my, it just, I got there quicker than the officers did. So again, no one can say anything about my husband's death to anyone but me until those two officers say anything to me. So the chaplain is there, the state chaplain. Hello, Mrs. Taylor. He escorts me in. He knows for sure he knows, but he can't say anything. I walk through the first set of double doors. Two soldiers are holding the doors open. They know but they can't say anything. I walked through what felt like 400 doors down 26 hallways, soldiers standing at every one of them holding the door for me and looking at the ground. Nobody will say anything. Nobody will look at me 
I'm like, okay, as if I didn't already know what I'm not supposed to yet know, I know. So anyway, they told me um, when the officers got there, they came into a conference room. I sat at the table. They sat next to me. And they have a script. It is literally like the movies. I don't know if it's on behalf of the Department of the Army or the President of the United States. On behalf of somebody important, we regret to inform you that your husband, Major Brent Taylor, was killed this morning in Afghanistan on a ruck march. And I remember the first words out of my mouth were, they killed him on a hike. This man survived the Taliban and ISIS and terrorists for four deployments, and they killed him on a hike? Like, that's not funny. And then I went into, I mean, it'd be interesting to interview the people who were in that room with me because I did not break down sobbing. I did not start screaming. I went into 100% how do I survive this? How do I carry my in-laws through this? How do I carry my small children through this? How do I carry the city of North Ogden that just lost their mayor through this? And I knew in that moment, this was not mine alone. I know if I could have just hid and borne this by myself, I think I would have tried. But we first had to try to reach Brent's parents. And I'm like, this is going to kill my mother-in-law. She's already lost her youngest son to suicide almost a decade ago. Now here it is, her second oldest son. I I just, my first heartbreak was for her. And so she had her own notification team, which is what they call these officers. And so I'm sitting in a conference room at the National Guard headquarters while my notification team's on the phone with their notification team trying to find them. They were at a service project at the local church. This was before COVID when people like did things together. And so it took them a while to find them. Once we knew they had found them, we started to try to reach my brother, my husband's siblings. He's um, second of eight, you know, and then the one that passed away. So there's seven, so six brothers and sister, one sister. So we're trying to call everyone, notify them, make sure they know, because we don't want them to hear it on the news first. And then once we got some of those things squared away in that conference room, I looked at the army officers and said, okay, we're going to my house. And I had them come with me. Not that them coming would be like a great strength to me, not that them coming would be a great comfort to my children, but a hundred percent of my motivation in those first few days was someday my kids will remember this. Someday they will look back and I want them to know that they had the respect of that notification team coming to tell them those hard words that nobody wants to tell them. So the notification team got in their car. By this point, my mom and sister had come down and to pick me up. Because again, my mom was at my house when the officers knocked on the door. So even though my mom didn't know anything for sure when those officers left my house, she knew they weren't going to give me good news. And she knew I didn't have a car. And so she and my sister called grandpa and left the kids with grandpa and my sister's husband and took off to come get me. Then we drove home. And that was the hardest. That was the hardest. Do you feel like you were just blindsided by this because it seemed like things were kind of calming down and, you know, Ooh. it was more of like a go and and be, like you're saying, like build relationships. It wasn't like go and you're on the front lines of a big battle no. or whatever. Right. And he'd, he'd survived all kinds of things as in his deployments. And in fact, he had come home on leave for two weeks in August and... 
I remember when we sent him back after those two weeks, I just told him, hurry up and get back. Just go. Like, I'm not even, not that I'm not thinking about him. I'm just not worried about it. Cause I got seven people to keep alive here. We were finally moving back into our house after everything had to get put back together. I was a hundred percent looking to get through the holidays and then January Brent's home and we'll man, 20, 2019 was going to be my year. We were going to recover. We were going to regroup. We were going to travel as a family, run away, whatever we needed to do. Cause I thought from January 1st on 2018 kicked my butt. So really by the time, you know, November 3rd came around and I find out he's dead. It was like me and a giant white flag of surrender. Like I give, okay, God, I give, I, I don't know what else you want to ask for me. I don't know how much harder this can get because again, I had thought the whole deployment was really, really, really hard. And I was, everything was going wrong. Everything was falling apart. You know, that feeling for non-widows and what COVID feels like? COVID feels like you don't know what's normal. You don't know what to expect. You can't trust even the most trustable things and events and, and protocols anymore. Like, I know that's how every widow feels when you become a widow. It's like, yeah, we just got there before COVID. But that's how I felt January 1st when my house flooded and I had a six-week-old baby. And then my husband deployed and then everything started going wrong while he was gone. So I, I felt like I'd been underwater and was finally starting to stabilize. Like you said, finally starting to get, I can get through the holidays. The holidays are kind of, you just flow, right? It'll be fun. We'll have fun things to look forward to. Time goes very fast between Halloween and Christmas. It just flies by like, Oh, he's going to be home. He's going to be home. And so, yeah, I felt completely blindsided. And then I felt like this public face of not just my soldier who died, but representing every soldier that's ever died, at least to my community. Most people who knew and loved Brent and were sad that he died, he's the first soldier they personally knew that died in war. Like we know of people that die at war. You've read history books about people that die at war. Most of us in 2018 don't actually know somebody that we care about that died in war. We just don't. Yeah, that's and that's the whole reason that we even knew you existed because it was a public thing where it was in the newspaper and on the news and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's got to be different to have people watching you and, you know, your expectation, your, you feel like you have to live up to some expectation of grieving military wife, which probably comes with a lot more um, just expectations and maybe... I feel like you have to look better than a not because you have to talk to people more. What was it like being the wife of the mayor who is now dead and, and the aftermath of that for a community? Yeah, just, you know, it, it's crazy. The only word I can use is crazy and maybe surreal because we went to get Brent's body back from Dover Air Base. Again, just like the movie, go watch Taking Chance if you wonder what it's like. So he died on Saturday, Monday, we got on a plane, middle of the night, Monday into Tuesday, his body's coming back from Dover. We fly home Tuesday afternoon, not with his body, but we came back. And I remember after being in Dover for not even 24 hours, talking with the media, seeing pictures of his casket at the airbase on the big giant screens at the airport going, oh my gosh, that's me. That's us. I came home from that trip and had kind of a family meeting with my parents, my husband's parents, and all of our adult siblings, everybody that was in town at the time. 
And I just said, this is not just ours. This is going to be public. And the news is either going to talk about us as a family or they can talk to us as a family. And that it was a very conscious decision to let it be so public because I knew it would be public anyway. There's no way to say pretend this didn't happen. But I felt compelled to maybe take, again, if you're going to talk about my family, if you're going to wonder why my husband wanted to serve in the military or what he thought about being a soldier, just ask me, I'll tell you, you don't have to make it up. So very public, you know, and my heart really started to soften and, and even break again when I saw how other people were impacted by my husband's death. Because of course, when somebody dies, you immediately go to the spouse and children and then the parents. Like I have siblings who love and miss Brent. He has siblings who love and miss him. He has friends and coworkers and colleagues. And I think had it not been so public, it might've been a little easier for me to feel like this was just me and my kids loss. But I'd have people who'd come over like all of us do, you know, those first few days when, when everyone's over and everyone's hugging and everyone's loving and bringing food and, and trying to help. And I remember my heart really breaking, thinking these people are mourning with me. They're not just mourning for me. You know, the Bible tells us to mourn with those that mourn. Like, we are heartbroken together. And I have felt that. You've probably felt that when a soldier or a police officer or firefighter dies, there's something in us that feels like that person belongs to all of us. They're trying to keep us safe. They're trying to keep us free and, and give us a better way of life. And so, you know, in the months since my husband died, we've lost an Air Force pilot from near my home, uh, First Lieutenant Cage Allen. We've lost a police officer with Ogden City, Nathan Lyde. And when those two men died, in addition to, yes, I feel sad because I'm a widow too, like it hurt me as an American citizen, as a resident here to know that someone who was trying to keep us safe had given his life. And, and so I feel like I was given almost this out-of-body perspective that this very public death was very public because as an American soldier, he didn't just die as a person. He represents every other American service member. And that's a lot of people that have died in the history of this country. Was that difficult for you to sort of share in your grief? Did you sometimes feel like um, that it minimized what you were feeling? You know, you're like, I don't want to share this with others. You don't really know him. He does. It's not affecting your everyday life. Sure, you're sad, but this is like, this is my husband. This is the father of my children. Like, stop being. You know what my favorite word so of that dramatic. question was, Anita? You asked, was like, was it so difficult? Like, maybe it's not so difficult, right? Like, no, I'll. Yeah. The human side of me is there are times, <laughs> very specifically, when I feel like. Just like I've heard you you say, and especially on the in-law episode a couple episodes ago, when you say, I know all of you love and mourn and grieve and miss, but this is my day-to-day. This is my better half. This is the father of my children. This is the person that I went to bed with every night and talked to on the phone for several times a day. And we lived together. We had a life together. We had a future plan together. And so I'll admit there are still times when it stings when I'll hear someone say something or, or I'll perceive something that it's like, yeah, but you don't, you don't get it the way I get it. I promise you don't get it right at his viewing. So we had a very public viewing and, you know, it was like, I don't know how many people came and it was kind of like a party at the basketball arena at the local university. And, and I was grateful for that. I was grateful for the, the respect that was shown and, and it really was a beautiful event. And I think I would have been there had my mayor died. 
like if I were just a citizen, I would have taken my children to pay their respects. So I, again, that out of body perspective, I think has been given to me, but I remember at the end of it, looking at all the beautiful pictures and all the flowers and all the displays that depicted this man's life and all the media cameras that were there. And I remember like throwing something on the ground and saying, yeah, but he was my husband. Like, this is great that America remembers what America's all about. This is great that a lot of people said they're going to remember to vote because my husband died by election day. And now they're going to remember how important that is. And that's awesome that my husband's death motivated you to go cast a vote. But that's my husband. And so I'll, like, I'll be super honest and say, yeah, I, I still struggle with that sometimes. I get kind of bitter and poor me. But I also feel like when I remind myself how grateful I am to know I'm really not mourning alone. And I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like I, I love talking to someone who's also sad. My husband's gone. They're not just trying to pity me. I love when I talk to one of his friends or colleagues or coworkers or even brothers or mom, and they get a little teary eyed too, because then I feel like, Oh yeah, see you miss him too. You miss it. I'm not, I'm not alone in that. So when I was, asking that question and and I think the subconscious reason I use the word was is I feel for I feel like for most of those people it is a was you know it was sad for them for what a month a week six months maybe and then they're over it because it isn't their day-to-day life and yeah you know for like your siblings or your parents it's it's still there but for the vast majority of the public they don't think about that anymore. All of us who've lost a spouse or, or someone really close to us, that one year anniversary comes. And I don't know why, but that one year date on the calendar feels like, you know, lead around your neck. And it's the worst pit in your stomach to think we're going to make it to one year. And I remember feeling the same way about Memorial Day because I'm married to a dead soldier and the, all of America celebrates dead soldiers on Memorial Day. And, and the anticipation of both of those days was really, really heavy and emotional and hard. And then it's like my perspective, again, this, this outside of my body perspective shift where I started to think, you know what though, on November 3rd, other people remember Brent too. People who maybe have gone on with their lives because you got to go on with your life, but they, November 3rd is going to come around and they're like, oh yeah, this is the day Mayor Taylor died. And so Memorial Day is going to come around. Oh yeah, my, my mayor died. He was one of those service members that gave his life with all the others. And, and so I try to focus on that knowing that instead of me feeling either bitter that I've got my own grief or bitter that they think they have the right to their grief, you know, it's more of a, hey, well, let's just, I guess, miss him together. But in, it is interesting how people outside of the immediate circle use was. I, I talked to a soldier that my husband served with years ago. He served with him in 2011. We spoke this past week on the phone and he said something like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your husband. I know it's been a long time, but it's just still such hard news. I'm like, dude, long time? We haven't even made it to two years. I mean, it feels like a hundred years, but it is not too late to tell me you're sorry he's dead. Like you can call me in 50 years and still tell me you're still sorry because he's still dead. That's what I was going to say. He's still dead even after two years. It's funny that way. I think that gives all of us an awareness too when we're watching or loving someone else who's lost someone. Now we're all a little more sensitive to not say things like was or was that hard. It's, is it hard to be a widow? Yeah. Do, do, am I a little bit better at handling it after almost two years than I was after two days? 
Maybe, maybe some days. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm a little more aware. I'm aware of more tools or more people like you all that I can say, Hey, you get this with me. But I, I remember actually, again, every widow will introduce you to every widow once you're a widow, right? Because you're just this sisterhood. And then you're like, man, why is there so many widows around? Right? Stop dying, man. There's annoying. And you're like, I didn't know there were so many widows in my world. Cause I think of the widows, like the 80 year old lady with blue hair. Right. So one of the, one of the best, well, blue, oh my gosh, but you totally are not 80, but you do have blue hair and it's like, <laughs> like pinky and curly on top of your hair. That's what I meant. When you're 80, yep. No, you are not, but you are blue haired widow. So maybe I'm that's not easier the to average accept blue hair are widow. <laughs> but you know, we, we all think of the little old lady that lost her husband or something. And one of the widows I met most immediately after my husband died, she was just so helpful in helping me see that she still missed her husband. At the time we met, I think her husband had been gone almost 10, maybe around 10 years. And I was at like 10 days. And so of course I'm a just, just sobbing and sad and missing him and aching. And she's telling me about her husband from a decade ago and she still misses him and she's still crying and she still loves him. And she lives a beautiful, happy life. It's not like she's crying and sad and weepy and mopey and thrown her life away. Shout out to Jen Funk if she's listening or any of you know her, but she, it, it really just helped me see I'm going to always miss him. I'm going to always love him. I'm going to always feel like I got punched in the stomach every time I remember that he's dead. Because I'll admit to you, sometimes I get going in the day to day and it kind of just feels like he's deployed again. We lived a good chunk of our marriage on opposite sides of the world. I'm a stay at home mom with a lot of kids and way too much going on every day. It's easy to get caught up in that. And then it's like a memory will come in my mind or I'll see a picture or something all of a sudden feels like, oh my gosh, he's dead. Wait a sec, what? I don't know if you feel that way. It's like I'm feeling it and hearing it for the first time over and over again. And so that is something that I don't think I anticipated. I certainly didn't anticipate how physically exhausting grief is. And you just feel like you're walking around with 80 extra pounds all over your body, just dragging along. And maybe you are. Like and you probably us. are because that's what it is. You know, then COVID made that worse. Good job. Also having seven kids. Seven kids. Oh my gosh. How do you navigate that? Okay. I really want to know that too. I'm like, so how, how practically are you dealing with that? Because I am drowning. Drowning. With four yeah. Do they each have their own so personal nanny? Or handler. A handler. I know. I need a handler. We have found a phenomenal young woman in our um, community. Her name is Ashley. She's a young college girl. She's an online college girl, which gives her flexibility. And she is phenomenal. And she babysits. I mean, I've had more babysitters in the last year and a half of my life than I did in the last 15 years raising my kids. As a stay-at-home mom, that's been a huge paradigm shift for me. Even when I took off and left for Dover and left all seven of my kids, I didn't travel away from my kids. I would leave my kids like for really important religious worship services, maybe. But other than that, I'd just take them with me. I'd go to PTA meetings and take them with me. I'd go to the store and take them with me. I was like super control freak. These are my kids. They come with me. I didn't have them so that somebody else could raise them. So we've got this young woman that really helps with the two younger ones instead. But we've, I really have become like the charity project of the community. And I've become a really good, um, I'm a really good recipient of help, which is, I say that not boastfully, but like, man, I've come a long way 
because when my house first flooded, my husband was still alive, but deployed. I had a nursing baby and all these other kids. That was hard. And we had some people from our neighborhood coming over to help get the furniture off of the wet carpet and peel the carpet out. And they had said they would come help. I'm like, no, no, I got this. Cause like what mom of sevens got this by herself to rip out carpet and move furniture alone. Hello, stupid independent woman. <laughs> but, but I remember they came, I wasn't ready for them. Of course I wanted to clean everything before they came and they came just to help and they didn't come to judge. They came to help. But I still to this day picture myself on my hands and knees as they picked up my couch, I'm crawling over to it to try to grab all the Cheerios and Legos and whatever other gross stuff was under that couch with like hot tears of embarrassment streaming down my face. Because I'm a very independent person and married to a political official who was also a soldier and an officer and all of these things. We were very independent people. And we've made it through three deployments before with kind of little to no help. I mean, that's not true, but, but relatively... And we had, we had some friends who during one of the deployments would bring us dinner once a week, me and the kids. And I remember being so embarrassed by that. Like, no, 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 we are serving the country. We don't need you to serve us. This is our service to the country. And, and just how wrong I was in thinking I needed to do everything and be everything and accomplish everything. Now, don't get me wrong. That is still my nature. I still revert to that. I still struggle with that. I still have to remind myself to chill out and say, yes, please, when people ask if I need help. But, um, I've got this cute babysitter who helps when I either need to be gone or like right now she has them at the park because there's no way I could do a quiet podcast recording in my house with the little ones running around and she helps, she can drive, which is phenomenal to have a babysitter who can drive. Oh my gosh. If I ever need to be gone overnight, um, I have a, I have a Pentagon appointment now, uh, not appointment, like a meeting I need to go to, but I've been appointed by the chief or the secretary of the army to represent him here in the state of Utah for army families. And so sometimes I need to travel or go to meetings, which again, I'm not a working mom. I'm not used to that. I know moms do that all day, every day and hats off to them. Cause I don't know how they do it, but Ashley will sometimes help overnight if I'm gone a night or two, but I've got wonderful ladies in my neighborhood who randomly sometimes will knock on the door, show up and just like start sweeping or do the dishes. And where do you, people brought me dinner for like six months, eight days a week. I'm not exaggerating. Like we didn't have room in the fridge. We bought another, another big freezer. I had two gigantic upright deep freezers with food and everything. And, and again, at first when people would show up, I would just be so embarrassed and, and feel like a failure and feel like I can't do this and I should be able to do this. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm just grateful you know, my kids, I, I remind myself all the time, my kids have already lost their dad. They don't need to lose me to being super stubborn to the point that I lose my mind trying to do everything myself. And I still have to remind myself that like every day. And obviously one thing, if you have seven kids, like lowered expectations, pretty much. If you knock on my door, I will always let you in and my house will always not be clean. So come on over. And, you know, sometimes like mac and cheese or pancakes for dinner is a victory because maybe DoorDash can just bring me something else. And I, I've had, again, it's this paradigm shift in my head. I've had to let go and realize that's okay. Maybe I'm going to pay somebody to come clean my house sometimes and that's okay. Maybe I'm going to pick up takeout again for the third time today. Did we really eat out three times today? <laughs> and maybe that's okay. And, this and that's is so, it. this is so me too. Like, uh. 
you guys, I'm not even making you food because you're not going to eat it anyway. And yeah, and I don't think my standards can get much lower. Everybody keeps saying that to me. You just have to expect less. I'm like, I don't think you understand what I'm expecting. And it's really not much. Yeah, don't don't worry about so many things. Which of the living things in my house would you like me to stop worrying about? Because I pretty much let go of everything else and I can't let go of much more. But yeah, it's, so I've, I've gotten better at just, I don't know, admitting defeat or accepting help. You call it what you want to call it. Depends on the psyche of my mood that day. What is the biggest thing that was hardest for you to accept help-wise? Oh my gosh. Everything. <laughs> Everything. Um, I think probably the hardest thing for me was to realize there's no way I can raise these seven kids by myself. No matter how early I wake up, no matter how hard I try, no matter how awesome and dedicated I am, I have to have help. And so I think that mental hurdle first of admitting I need help, period, of any variety. But in terms of like just sheer embarrassment and practicality, it's having people come over and clean my messy house. Like that is the worst. Or know that I'm not really a very good cook. And so maybe you need to bring me dinner because we might be having Chick-fil-A again tonight. So. Some of that is like exposing my domestic weaknesses because here I am like this super stubborn, independent, I chose to be a stay-at-home mom and I'm no good at it. So sorry. So that, that's been my hardest. Not, nothing has embarrassed me more than to have someone come over, whether I know they're coming or I don't know they're coming, to help clean my house because that's where I feel like a total failure. Like no matter how hard I try, I can't organize all of this. I can't, I know people on Pinterest do, and they have way more kids than me and they homeschool and do lots of things. Not me. I have zero kids and I can't do any of that. So (laughs) I think you're awesome. (laughs) I was going to say that the hardest thing for me is when the Pentagon calls me and I have to leave suddenly. (laughs) Oh yeah. I hate that. I hate it when the Pentagon calls. I am going to the Pentagon in a couple of weeks um, for a meeting with the chief of staff of the United States army. So that's, I mean, that's, it's just surreal. Like you ask, what's my life like surreal? It's like I inherited this life. My husband and I were living and he was out front and I was always behind the scenes holding things together. And now I'm kind of out front and wondering who in the world's going to hold things together. What have things become now? Do you, are you involved with nonprofits, with charities? What is your involvement with the government? Okay, so the government thing, it's called a CASA, C-A-S-A. I'm a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army. And I didn't even know it existed, and I bet most soldiers don't know it exists either. But the Secretary of the Army, obviously, is in the Pentagon, and he has a civilian aide in each state. Some big states have more than one, but we just have one. That's kind of like a liaison. It's like the traveling supervisor or whatever. So, So my job is to kind of keep tabs on what's happening with the Army here in Utah and then communicate that back to D.C. And on the flip side, it's to keep track of what's happening at the Pentagon and Big Army. We call it Big Army, like the overall Army, and communicating that here. So I work a lot with the recruiters. I work a lot with, um, like, uh, the ROTC programs, and I work with, unfortunately funerals for other soldiers or service members, but try to just be in conversations. I, it's really, um, it's not super defined. Like this is your job. My job is to be a representative of the army and kind of connect the army. And I can do that. However, I have time and talents to do. 
do they pay you for being this CASA? No, it is. No, it is a volunteer position. In fact, it costs me a lot of money because when I drive places, I pay for it. If I fly places, I pay for it. And when I get a babysitter, I pay for it. So quit this job. Today. This is not a job. <laughs> it's a calling. It, it is a calling. It's a calling. And the funny thing is, you know, when they first called and asked me if I would apply for it, again, I didn't know what it was. And it was last September, which is my anniversary, which is almost to the one year mark of losing my husband. And I remember getting a call thinking, I don't need one more thing. Like this, what? I am drowning here, people. And it just, you know, I sat on it for a few days thinking about it and wondering and just felt like this is an opportunity for me to serve in a way and capacity I never, ever would have known existed. And, and I'm not claiming to be the best at it. There's a lot of CASAs around the country that can do more. They've got previous military experience where they're like, you know, the CEO of 7-Eleven or whatever. But the, what kind of sealed the deal for me, even though it is, you know, a, it's a lot of work and a sacrifice for my family, it's, it's a chance to give a voice to the military family in a lot of military conversations that are usually just focused on the military side, the service member and the military survivor. So I'm not claiming I have all the answers. I'm not claiming I can fix everything. I'm not claiming I'm the best military survivor that ever existed. But, but you know, I went to a training in Washington, D.C. this February, right before COVID was a big thing here. And we actually still met in person. And I'm in this room full of people who are far more qualified than I am. Most of them are older than I am. Most of them really have served in the military 10 or 20 or 30 years. And yet I'm the one they're asking, what do you think about this family issue? Or what do you think as a survivor? So I feel like it's not necessarily on my own qualifications. It's on my unique qualifications. So I'll, I'll do it for a while as long as it works with my family. COVID has been awesome because now most of it's just virtual and we've been able to make that work. And it's something I feel like is an opportunity to serve our country. Um, and again, there's not like set hours I have to work. I'm a volunteer, so I do it as I can and when I can and adapt it as needed. But it, it's an incredible honor to be able to do this and try to give a voice to, to maybe some of the viewpoints that I don't think they've been ignored in the past, but maybe they weren't as aware. Um, you have the best qualification. I think you're selling yourself short. Did you not tell them that you were the 100th member of the Widow Wives Club? I was just going to tell you a picture of like my name tag across my door. And <laughs> the 100th Widow Wife Club member. And so just send me my appointment right now. Thank you. No question. And more money. <laughs> and more and more money. More money is always Yay, great. Patreon. I know. I love Patreon. Thanks for being a part of our Patreon, by the way. That's so amazing of you. I also would like to just say how random slash probably not random is it that your husband's death day is like election day? I know. So we joke about that, but it's kind of one of those jokes, not funny. So he died on the third, which was a Saturday. His body was supposed to come back on Monday, but he actually was delayed. Like legit, the flight with his casket on it was delayed till after midnight and that's when I realized he came home to America on election day, 2018. The first time I spoke to the media was election day, 2018. Now we're going to put his headstone on his grave after two years and it's election day, 2020. Like it is crazy. I know. But again, maybe it reminds people like, hey, you know, go vote. And I don't care who you vote for, but go vote and be respectful and appreciate all the things. But it is crazy. He was born on July 6th. 
two days after the fourth. He always gave his mom a hard time that he was two days late. <laughs> she'd been. She and should I, be giving him a hard time about that. That I was know, not her. Two days. Any pregnant lady knows that. Especially in July in Utah, that is hot. But we, you know, we. I look at that. You can call it a coincidence, whatever you want. But this man who loved his country so much died right around the election day and veterans day of this country when people maybe pause for a minute and think about the men and women who have served and are serving. And I will forever be grateful for that because it's an opportunity. You know, people call it a platform or whatever, but just a reminder. It's a little reminder. So Mel and I often talk about feeling like our husbands, Mel will say that her husband's doing a show in China and just doesn't have cell service. And like, he's not really dead. I imagine that that would be way more real for your brain because he was gone so yeah. often. So you just feel like he's just, he'll be back after this deploy, de yeah. deployment. Yep, exactly. It feels like that sometimes where, you know, in, in a way I'm grateful because it's not like we used to just sit around and hold hands on the couch all day every day because that's just not real life. <laughs> But I look back and think, you know, we, we, were, we were always busy. He was always actively engaged. He was either deployed or even when he wasn't deployed, he was the mayor and had meetings most evenings. And, and our time with him was split with a lot of other people. And he has a big family and he cared a lot about them and my family. And, and so I, I think of my sweet kids and think, you know, they, they shared their father with their country and their community long before the day he died. They did. Okay, on the flip side of this, you get to tell me if this is fair. But you know how you get really annoyed when people make comparisons to their own situations? Compare deployment to death. Oh, nice one, Anita. <laughs> Such a good <laughs> Such a good comparison. Um, well, the, the problem with death is like it's final, right? A deployment comes and goes and... Like you can think, I mean, I, I know several widows we've talked about, man, if I could just have a text message to heaven, like I'd maybe be okay. Maybe I could be okay if I had to just not see him, but I could at least communicate with him. And so that's been one of the, the practical things, aside from all the emotional and just the grief of I've lost my husband, but man, this pandemic and election year for two people who love America and politics, and I can't even shoot him a text about the latest headline. Like there've been times I reach for my phone to say, did you? Oh, you didn't hear that, did you? Or if you did, you can't talk to me about it. And so with a deployment, it was, it was tricky because he was gone, but we could still communicate. And especially this last deployment, we would text through Skype almost every day. And we wouldn't necessarily be online at the same time because of time differences. So it's not like we just chatted on the phone all day, but usually before he went to bed and before I went to bed, we'd say something. And so there was that connection. Um, I'll tell you, if you want to compare a deployment to a husband who travels back and forth a lot, I would say the traveling back and forth a lot was harder. There was a year and a half when my husband was on an assignment for the army where he'd be gone maybe two or three weeks a month to different places, like one week at a time, but a couple of them a month. And that got hard because he'd come and go. Like when he's gone on a deployment, whether it's nine months or a year, you kind of eventually get into a groove. And I think that's what was so hard about this final deployment with the house flooding and all the things. It, we never got really into that groove until October, right before he died. But when he was deployed, 
you know he's not going to show up for dinner and he's not going to be late and he's not going to be here at bedtime and so don't ask for his help getting the kids to bed because he's just not here. Versus when he would travel, he'd be gone a week or so, back a week or so, gone a week or so, and you're constantly trying to adjust. And kids, you know, dad's like a celebrity, so when he's home, then they go crazy, but you want him to be on their routine and schedules. So, you know, obviously the, the death side of things sometimes does feel like a deployment. And, and I don't know if that's better or worse. I mean, that's probably depends on the opinion of the day, but there are days when I get going around busy and I think I know how to do this. I know how to take care of kids without him here. I know how to sit at church without him next to me on the bench. I know how to roll my garbage can out, even though my neighbor mostly does it now. So thanks to the neighbors. But like, there are things I, I can do. And especially now that I'm so good at asking for help, I'm like a master at it. But you know, then again, there'll be times when like a random thought or a smell or a food or a candy corn because my husband loved candy corn and it's Halloween time now. And you'll see those little things. I find it's the little things that trigger me more than the big things. I think I anticipate big things like headstones and gravesites, but I don't anticipate like the first spring. So he died in November. Utah's very wintry. Every plant life is dormant um, for several months after that. And my husband loved to garden. He had a huge vegetable garden and he had a lot of rose bushes. And I remember the first day in early, early spring after he died, I got home from picking up kids or something and saw one of the rose bushes kind of budding, one itty bitty bud coming back to life. And I felt like it was such a slap in the face, like this mockery that spring and the renewal of life for this man who loved this rose bush and now this rose is blooming without him here. And he won't be here next year when it blooms or the next year when it, and so those little moments sometimes are harder for me than the seemingly bigger things. Cause we are used to him being gone and not home for dinner and not home on the weekends and not home on Tuesday either. You know? Yeah. I, I think that those little things, something that's so hard about them is that you can't prepare yourself for them because they just come without any indication you know, I laugh about the things that will make me sad, you know, and they're the tiniest things. Like I'm mowing the lawn and I walk past a little portion of our lawn. I remember Jason running into the house because there was a beehive in the <laughs> ground and he'd gotten stung all over and in his ear. And so I mow over that part and I'm like, Ugh! like, how do you prepare for that? You can't prepare for the spot in your lawn, you know, that's going to set you off. It just... Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. I know those, those triggers or whatever you want to call them. Those, those moments that just feel like this is real. Like this is still real. You know, you wake up in the morning and it's still real. So dumb. So dumb. <laughs> I have a question that's kind of random. Um, but as, as a military family and, Talking about Memorial Day, you know, you see on social media, people are posting, remember that Memorial Day is about soldiers. Do you get offended or do military families get offended that people are also celebrating their non-military dead family members? Um, Be honest. We don't care. We have no feelings. I'm not going to speak for every military family. I don't know that I'd use the word offended as much as I'd realize we have some room for education. And I'll admit it, even my family, we grew up going to the cemetery on Memorial Day for my grandpa, who did serve in World War II, but he didn't die in World War II. And my father died when I was younger and different people, we'd go visit the graves on Memorial Day because that's what Americans do. 
And I do think there's a lack of understanding about what Memorial Day is and why it is. Memorial Day really is the day to remember our military dead. And if you want to also remember all of your dead, like that's great. But it is the day to remember men and women who have died for our country. Then Veterans Day, fast forward, is not the day to remember our military dead. Now, that doesn't mean you can't remember them, but it's not exclusively for dead soldiers and dead sailors because Veterans Day is for all who serve and are still serving and have served. And sometimes I think in this country, we are very good about honoring our dead, which we should be. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. But what about the guy who puts on a uniform and he's still alive? Like, let's celebrate him or her too. You know, I've, I've said that before. The day my husband was killed, there was one other American on the hike with him and then a lot of Afghans. And the one other American was also shot and he lived. So do we not celebrate him? We only celebrate the guy that died? Like, that's ridiculous. Or the people who've never seen combat, but they're willing every day if they need to, they'd go and answer that call. So I do think there's room for education. Memorial Day is the day to honor our war dead. Veterans Day is the day to honor all of our military men and women, any branch, any episode, any uh, war, any job they've had, whether they've seen combat or not, that's not the point. But you know, for most Americans, both of those days are just a day to get like a good deal on a couch. Hot dogs. Free hot dogs and soda. Hey, a day to get school off, but I don't think kids even get Veterans Day off for school anymore. I don't think so. So, so should we, we need like a civilian Memorial Day. Let's start one. Yeah. And, and it can kind of be both. I would just say like on Memorial Day, when you go to your husband's grave or your grandmother's grave or your daughter's grave or whoever's grave, that's wonderful. Maybe take a minute to talk with your family about how also we're, we're remembering these um, military men and women who've died for us. So I wonder for our international listeners if I kind of think that probably other countries have similar holidays, if not the same holidays. I'm kind of curious to know. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Other countries, yeah, like our Australian listeners and England and Canada, if they've got similar and which days they are, and if they're if they've got a Memorial Day and a Veterans Day, or just a Memorial Day, or just a Veterans Day, or you guys, let us know. All of our international listeners, let us know what your country does um, for your military people, because we don't know. Be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. When you were talking about, I felt this sense of you holding your breath when he was on deployment. We've just got to make it until he gets home. And then to feel like you just had to go for this much longer and then everything's going to be going to be back to normal and it's going to be great. And then it's like, oh, just kidding. You not only need to keep holding your breath, but you got to keep holding it for the rest of your freaking like life. More years. Yeah. Five decades. Yeah. Yeah. And even though, you know, my husband wasn't gone, I felt a sense of that too. Like, we just have to make it until the kids are a little bit older. You know, we just need to make it through potty training. We just need to make it through this. Yeah. And then it's like, nope, guess what? You got to make it through everything all by yourself, all the time. All day, every day. And even if you have helpers, those helpers are not a parent. And a parent is different than a helper or a babysitter. It is. And I'm grateful for all the helpers we have, but it is, you, you, you don't have the same connection, that companionship. You know, I'd say half of me died that day and it wasn't the left half or the right half. It was half of every cell in my body. And, 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 and not just the past 15 years that we were married together 
but the future 50 years, I thought for sure, because again, we're raising kids all of that time. Someday they're going to be done potty training and nursing. And we could actually like go on a vacation. The two of us, I dreamed of that. We never did. Our honeymoon was like park city for a couple of days, an hour away from home, you know, or someday we might do this or down the road, we'll have grandkids and do that. And so you do, you lose you lose all of that. But I'll, I'll admit something clicked inside of me in the moment I knew he was dead to where any weight I had felt during that deployment where I thought, I just can't do this. I just can't do this. I just can't do this, which I said a thousand times a day. It was kind of like somebody slapped me in the face and said, you have to do this. So basically figure it out. And, and you can look at that as super discompassionate. I even think sometimes when I'm really sad and have my, my darker moments or my just more grief heavy moments, I can picture Brent on some cloud above looking at me like, oh, I'm sure it breaks his heart to see me all sad. And then I'm sure he's like, Jenny, get up. You can do this. Come on. You, you, you can do this. There's people to help. You can do this. Come on. Like I can see him lovingly. He has so much confidence in me that, which is funny because like you shouldn't, but he did. He did. And I can, I can kind of feel him or hear him in my mind saying, I'm so sorry you have to do this. And I know you can do this. So get up. And if you do it, you can have a donut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you two, I have two donuts, donuts for widowhood. I have had those exact same thoughts. Have you really? Not even joking. Like Jason sitting on a cloud, looking down and watching the disaster that's taking place and just being like, you're crushing it, Anita. Like, good job. And I'm like, anybody watching this is not like, good job. (laughs) They're like, holy crap. Somebody give that woman some help. But he's like, that's my wife. Do you guys see her? Well, that's totally how I feel. I can see him being like, oh, you got this. You come in, you got this. You got the like, oh, I don't want to got this. <laughs> can somebody else got this? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, Mel, you can ask the question now. To the most important question of all time in the universe of time and space. What is your favorite cheese? Oh, for sure, feta. And Ooh, there we have it. Salty, delicious. Crumbly. But not confused with blue cheese because you might look at them from a distance on a salad and say those are very similar items and they are not. Definitely not. Similar items because blue cheese tastes kind of like it's rotten all the time, which I know that's the point, but why would you do that on purpose? <laughs> but if you had a salad with like spinach and strawberries and a bunch of feta cheese, I would eat that. I would still eat the blue cheese, but I would feel like somebody put rotten something on my salad. Hey, thanks so much for letting me chat. It's like therapy on my computer. I owe you each $110 for this past session. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> thank you. We have lots of letters behind our names. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. But we're not the 100th listener. The one we're not listening. So take that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yes. And I am so impressed, too, that we reached out and you got back to us so quickly and scheduled it so quickly and moved things around so yeah. quickly. Like, you're amazing. No, it worked out perfectly. I love listening to all the people you've interviewed. It's just so helpful to find people who get it. I love that you can laugh. Like I can be super sad. My husband's dead and I can crack a joke about it. And like, you get that. You don't think I'm being disrespectful or irreverent, but I think it's important. You got to be able to laugh and, and sometimes slap yourself in the face and say, just get up. Come on, girl. I showed my dad, Anita made t-shirts for our widow bingo night. We're going to send you one. And and I'm like, Dad, look how funny this is. And he was like, he went, that's morbid. I'm like, (laughs) yeah. You have to be a member of the club 
You have to be a member of the club to get it. It's it's a I thing. Know. I'm like, Dad, you live in the house with me. The shirts are amazing. I I can't wait to see these things. I know. So I'm. Thank you so much for being our new friend. And thank you, ladies. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me into your widow wife club. You guys, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you found Jenny to be inspiring and lovely. She is awesome. And we really appreciated that everything kind of fell into place for us to connect with her. So we don't know about coincidences. We kind of think those things happen for a reason. Thanks, dead people. Um, Until next time, remember to check out the Widow Wives Club and answer all the questions. Remember to check out our Patreon. And until then, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Jenny. And we're just two young widows and a lady that actually can celebrate Memorial Day legitimately who are trying to figure out Widow, we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks, and so you don't have to pay extra for that, and you still get great service. Yep, Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.